If you had unlimited resources, you don't. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you've got five thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Five thousand dollars. And I'm asking you to build a structure. You can place it anywhere in the world. Um, but the structure is an outhouse. What does it look like, and where is it? The structure is just the function of taking a shit. Yep. Hey, thanks for listening to the Curious Jord podcast. My name is Jordan. Before I get into the episode, I just wanted to mention something. If you're listening to the show through a, a browser or a phone, um, or a browser on your phone or your computer, that's great. Uh, but it's much easier and more portable if you download the show through a podcast app. Podcast apps include Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Castbox. And you can just you can find a whole list of them if you just Google podcast app. On any of these apps, you can subscribe to the show for free by searching Curious Jordan. All right, that's it. Now, on today's episode, I sit down with Grant Genova, whose architecture firm is called Fresh Fruit and Architecture. Grant has an interesting story, one that takes him to places across Canada and the United States. His life starts in Toronto, but now he calls St. John's his home. Grant has a unique perspective on all things architecture, and I believe that extends to his perspectives on life as well. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Grant Genova. Cheers. In your business card, you have uh, architecture connects the human environment to the planet by creating a sense of place, volume, light, form and texture. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of dissect that a little bit. Okay. Um, let's see where we go with that one. You know, when you're putting together a business card, you have to kind of zero it down. <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't want to zero it down so much that you, you make statements like, okay, well, I only do post offices. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay, so you're just like keeping it a little... Well, you, 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 you want it fluid, and, and when it comes to um, the basic things that we manipulate, um, but there's, there's other professions that also manipulate that. A stage designer is doing the same thing. And, and I don't see architecture divided in any way, shape, or form. I see it as a constant flow all the way to possibly making a decision that you're not building it. That is a possibility. Yeah. The logic and the data that you collect yeah. uh, actually says you shouldn't be building something. Okay. okay? Uh, because it, it really comes from uh, data-driven, right? You know, the, the stuff that you uncover. Uh, it's, it's a mystery when someone comes to you and they want a, a building or they, they think they want a building. Or someone thinks they're going to do something in urban planning, like we're doing on this project, stuff like that. But when it comes to this sort of stuff that, like a painter would take color, and or texture, or add something to the paint and whatever, uh, that statement is trying to address the kinds of things that an architectural type of person would be thinking through 
to create that finished, if it's going to be a finished product of some sort, a building that people walk through, a building that's going to be functionally doing something. Uh, we would hope that if it's done by an architect, it would inspire, it would, it would lift you up, it would, even if it be just your home, it would um, give a purpose for that window that's placed in that space, that the window has a purpose. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between buying a track home or, or you know, some local people here would, and they do have it in their ads where they say they're, they're, they're giving you a custom home. It's all lies because just why would all the windows be in the same position? Is, is, a, tr is a track home just like a standard? Standard. What, track home is, is aging myself a little bit because in my early career, I had to do a lot of uh, Florida developments, and they call them tracks. You know, like you know, one uh, okay. after another. Yeah, There's yeah. maybe I may have designed uh, five models, and they got stamped out a hundred times or something. Okay. You know? Although you try to do your best within that, even you know, because there's yeah. going to be a family in there, there's going to be a couple or whatever. You're doing your best, and but it's going through a lot of filters that you don't necessarily have when you run into someone that wants, has seen some of your work, likes your ideas, and they want to uh, they want to work with you to develop their uh, shack. It could be, I mean, as simple as that, or they're going to they want to redo something as an addition or they're actually doing a house or something like that okay yeah so th to get back to the card it's like just trying to define the basic elements of what an architect would manipulate in order to create that mm -hmm. um, finished product it's not addressing the whole process because i actually think it's more based especially nowadays more based on the on the process that you use and how creative that is in order to get an outcome because um, we've kind of hopped uh, in, in the world of um, imagery like because of the internet you know more about the world than ever before and so you know visually about the world and so the, you've probably seen some you've seen more buildings I'll call them groovy buildings than a client that I had in the that's uh, not, sorry that's right. uh, than a client that I had in the in the seventies. Uh, yeah, a lot more. I uh, like uh, so much more. It's crazy. Yeah, and this may seem like a silly question to you, but why do you think that human beings want to be in a nice space aesthetically? Why do you think that need exists? Um, one of the things that happens in most of the cases where a, an environment is something that people enjoy, it's probably connecting itself to its surroundings a little bit better. Now that could be dramatic, meaning you're looking out on an ocean site, but it could be also uniquely a small apartment, postage stamp apartment in New York, right? And you walk outside and the outsideness and the insideness are all, all come together, right? So probably 
there's a desire for that. It might be even primal that we are supposed to be uh, outdoors. You know, we're still on the earth. We haven't burnt it all up yet. So there's that. Um, I think some people, though, because I've done some environments that are a little off the norm. Okay, in what way? And, well, um, uh, just a simple example is like a typical gyprock wall, right? I mean, I've, I've done them in a way that it's punched uh, in in small squares, uh, voids, uh, the whole the whole wall, and it's curved and and it sits in a space, and so it's it's dramatic, right? It's like something that someone has never seen before. You'll get two different reactions primarily from that. You'll get someone that I could I've been told this I can't live in something like this. I love it, but I couldn't live in something like this. Like they're at a party. Right, because many times an architect will have a party in his own space or something. So they'll they'll make the comment that they really have enjoyed themselves and they love it, but not to the degree that they would want to live in it. Because there's something about people, in most cases, from my experience, don't want to be any different than their neighbor. So if, if, and that's why classicism is still out there. You know, they, matter of fact, most people think that that's the only architecture that exists. When, when they get hit with something uh, more, more modern or Bauhaus or something like that, they, they don't even understand it. They, and, and, and they more than likely don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning before, um, when someone comes to you and wants you to, uh, design or build something, um, depending on the the data, you might not even build it. Like yeah. what? What would be something that would trigger that that it wouldn't get built or that you wouldn't? Is it you wouldn't do it from a creative perspective or? No, um, it it probably it it wouldn't it wouldn't apply to someone that comes to you. We'll just use you as an example, and you've found a piece of property. And you want to build a small cabin, and you want me to join as a. And I believe that that's a. I believe in every single thing that I have ever done. It's always collaboration. It's either collaborating one on one with the client, or it truly is a team of people that's being brought together through uh, my whatever thought process that's going to go and do it because things get complicated. Um, more than likely, we wouldn't be making a decision not to for you because you bought the land and you're going to where the where the possible possibility of not comes in is it could be a um, uh, federal government deciding that they need more post offices and you get into the study of that get into the study of their flow their flow pattern of mail they you know all those issues that are part of doing post office networking the whole bit because that's what we get into and it's found out that it would be better that all the post offices that exist should increase their efficiency by this, by this process. And that's a decision that you don't need the other post office. Isn't that something that the post office should know before they come to you? Or No, that's something that a lot of people don't realize architects do. Oh, okay. We're very analytical. 
Yeah. And we have to be because you can realize the complexity of just doing a person's home to the level that it should be is highly complex. So the you know the the amount of variables that go into doing a factory. Uh, matter of fact, in some factory cases, it's not even as great as what goes into a home if you're truly trying to design for that for that person, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, loads. Nowadays, it's gotten so subdivided with experts, like because uh, architectural uh, education was always a generalist type of education, specific to built environment. But we needed to know. Uh, absolutely what plumbing was all about, absolutely what air conditioning was all about, absolutely what structure was, all that. But you would be bringing those expertise to the table and you were the umbrella over it all because someone has to be able to, what I call, synthesize it all right together. Mm -hmm. We've gone through a period of time that experts are more important and that's part of the damage. It, it's like... Uh, in this province in particular, there's like engineers making decisions that they shouldn't be making. Because they have, don't have one course in in dealing with a human being, yeah, and they go off on uh, making space, and, and they have nothing in their curricula or their experiences about dealing with uh, humans' perception, uh, how, how people might be in the space, how they function in the space, stuff like that. Yeah, um, I assume when you're walking around a city or a neighborhood, you've got your, you've probably got your architecture lenses on oh, to a certain degree right off. um so i know you've been to st john's we're in st john's have you been to montreal i lived in montreal, lived in montreal most of my life and i think you were born in toronto yep so let's just say you were walking through toronto or montreal or st john's and you had to assign so you're walking around looking at the buildings and you had to assign one word to describe toronto what word would you use and i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you the same for the the second two cities? Um, for, first of all, I think every architect should be this way, but I don't know, because we're all, we're all slightly different. We go through curriculum that's very similar, because it is all a, a credit on, it, it's all accredited under one huge organization, right? I mean, lots of people don't realize that, but the courses that you take are reviewed, that university is reviewed, so we go through the same uh, very similar types of courses. We have to do apprenticeship. We have to pass a national exam. So we're funneled in. That's Canadian. And, and American. It's the same. It's North American or like worldwide? North American. Okay. North, well, worldwide too in a, in a lot of aspects. But yeah. they always have different categories. But okay. one architect to another, you know, uh, you can tr trust the fact that just like one lawyer to the other, uh, you know your stuff, right, in terms of that. So. If, if some architect said to me, he's just looking at buildings, I would say, you know, you're full of shit. Uh, it, it would be, you're looking at the, move, the, the, the progression of space, whether it be interior or exterior, whether it be a, a, a small little alcove, uh, you know, like the experience of how that, the perception of all of that's happening, the people around you, what are people doing, uh, all that. And I think, in most cases, most architects would be just always observing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're not good to live with in that respect, because <laughs> we're always ob observing, right? Yeah. But uh, to, to say, like, I was born in Toronto. I remember it as a child. I've always returned to it, because my dad's family, still my cousins are there. And they've always taken me to other places and whatever. Um, 
and and I because I was as a young kid, uh, meaning from from infancy on, my world was uh, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City, Shakutami. That Where's, was where Shakutami. Arvada. Uh, it's north of uh, Quebec City. Oh, okay. Through the Laurentian Mountains. I'm from Scarborough, actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was my world, and yeah. and my my father, although he probably should have become should have become an architect, um, just because of some of the talents that he had that he showed me that he did when he was 15. Uh, he grew up in the fresh fruit business, right? He he was there was no way that was going to happen, but somehow without pushing me, he influenced me enough because. He, he took me to the Empire State Building when I was five years old. And I just returned there just uh, a month ago. Yeah. Just to kind of revisit with him while yeah. he was gone. And, and, you know, oh, yeah, I was, I hadn't been back. You know, he, 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 he was always excited about um, buildings and urbanism and, and that. So that's in you. And t Toronto to me is always in comparison to Montreal. Because I was always seeing both of them in a very intimate way, mm -hmm. and Montreal, as if anyone says this is wrong, it's bullshit. But Montreal was way ahead of Toronto, and it was only because of the uh, separatist movement that they got pushed back. Way because, ahead in an architecture. Sense. Oh wait, Montreal, Montreal did Expo '67. Toronto wasn't even close, and Montreal brought in its new metro system. Uh, rubber wheels, uh, you know, some major things. Uh, you know, a geodesic dome was built in Montreal. Uh, the uh, major stuff happened in Montreal, and then it got slowed down because of French-English issue, right? And then all the money of the, the larger funds or whatever, they all va vacated out of Montreal. And where did they go? Toronto. Maybe some went to Vancouver, but most of them Toronto. Mm -hmm. And it gave its uh, life, right? Um, the interesting thing about that, for as long as I've been on the planet, which is a reasonable amount of time now, is Toronto su is suffering from that now because their growth and, and the way they've done things has been unbridled. They didn't have any issues f pushing them around the slowness of what Montreal had to do, I think Montreal is now going to come forward with being a more livable city in a lot of its areas than Toronto's. Yeah. And I think that's, this may sound peculiar, but that's part of why there's a lot of shootings going on. I know that it's a direct relationship because these people that are a little mixed up are also in environments that aren't very healthy. Okay. You know, I mean, so um, that's a challenge for Toronto now, is to try to, from an architect's point of view, an urban planner point of view, how do you start correcting some of that, sensitizing yourself to that? Because there's been way too many. What would be some steps that, to make a city more livable and less um, sort of uh, dangerous for the mind? or? Um, there's a lot of great people that have come before us, such as like Jane Jacobs, who was more of a social thinker about cities. And, you know, she's a, she came from the beatnik generation. And she just started, she went up against uh, Robert Moses, who was a major mover shaker of, 
of doing big big developments, which all got uh, those tenement houses were all exploded. You know, they were all brought down. I mean, it's an amazing uh, history there of of these guys getting into uh, big money projects with loads of money, loads of uh, uh, pockets being lined with uh, funny money, mm-hmm. and and uh, Jacob's going. You're you're mowing down neighborhoods that actually work, and and see a lot of people think that, and that's the danger that we've got happening today is that because it looks good on paper, like the graphics look good, you know, and and the aerial view of it all, you know, with all the trees and the pools and all that looks good. That doesn't mean it's a good uh, neighborhood. You may the thing that makes a neighborhood is by diagnosing a really good neighborhood anywhere, like in New York or Toronto or whatever. I could take you to a few, and li- laying out the parameters that actually establish that to be what it is, and duplicate it. So, what are some qualities of a good neighborhood? A green space, the, you know, a walkability wide enough uh, 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 pattern language. Do you know anything about pattern language? Um, no, I don't think so. It, it was a, a term. It, it, what it is is analytically looking at how people use space. Like okay. right now, how are we do, what are we doing right now? Sitting. You know, if, if, you were, <laughs> if you were my intimate girlfriend, you'd be sitting here. Yeah. This, is, this is pretty intimate, but there's probably three feet between us, right? Yeah. And so there, uh, there's another book that was standard, was uh, Hidden Dimension, which talks about that, uh, the, the, the hiddenness of how to create environment. Then there's the complexity of simple things like when little Harvey gets lost in the neighborhood, the butcher and the grocer knows he's lost. And that's a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They know Harvey. They know Harvey's mom. They know why is Harvey by himself? And they are the first layer of security. It's not up to the policeman. And in some of those neighborhoods also, the police person is well known. And and he walks his beat. And there's no doubt that there's problems. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to, you're not supposed to, you're not trying to make it antiseptic, right? Because that's the worst part. Uh, neighborhoods that uh, don't allow a child to know an, what an older person looks like are stupid. Uh, that's not what went on in the best neighborhoods that I know of, that I grew up in, Duran- in Toronto. So you know, it was a, it's a mixed bag of people. How does how does um, and I can go on and on with variables, right? Yeah, you just keep keep on talking about those neighborhoods. Yeah, uh, that that are rich and 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 the idea that I have within walking distance, I have all my amenities. You know, who's destroyed that is like Costco and that attitude and Walmart. Yeah. Those aren't neighbor. I'm not going to a neighborhood store. I'm 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 being told to go there because it's cheap. Yeah. And you know, it's it's destroyed people's livelihoods. A simple guy that wanted to run his whole life, and they still exist. They exist in New York, Toronto, Montreal. They part sometimes exist here. It's mm-hmm. a smaller footprint, but you know that butcher shop that's up the street here. They've been around for ages. And I went in there. It's a congenial atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Holidays? Yeah. yeah. Holidays. Yeah, it's a great spot. Yeah. Belbins. Yeah. Even though they got oh, bought yeah. by Coleman's recently. Yeah. Coleman's is trying to keep that going as Belbins. Right? Cool. That's a good yeah. move. Um, 
I definitely know like that neighborhood you're talking about, like uh, speaking generally. Um, how I figure there's like a challenge though in creating those neighborhoods when there's a need for housing and like a, a need for um, expansion. Like how how do we fit that neighborly feel and design into an ever expanding world with with uh, housing issues and, and, and that sort of thing. One of, one of the things that was not there earlier in my career, although I, I got involved with the Apple in 79, that's how long I've been computerized. That doesn't mean anything. It's only today, meaning the last 10 years, because of the internet and the way knowledge is, you know, we really are a global village, which McLuhan talked about. It wasn't, a, he only made it up. It's really happening now, right? So the idea that it could, it could come from counselors that have vision, but the idea that some sets of organizations, some sets of people demand that these people that want to create space for us have to show the complexity, have to show the diversity. It's demanded. They have to show that they have embraced history. They have to show that they... And my point on that is, if someone says that's too expensive, you have this, you asshole. You're holding up a MacBook. Yeah. yeah. It's not expensive. Matter of fact, you can rip off. It's yeah. so easy now. <laughs> yeah. So if it's that, if information of what could be is that fluid, then... Um, come on. Um, and, and to me, uh, when you're talking about a footprint like this, 10% footprint, uh, no local person should be, because it's, it's so present to the, and going to influence the general public, it's part of the general public. It, it's not supposed, it, 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 just because someone can, and someone recently has, has bought uh, this particular footprint for $17.5 million. Um, when someone buys into a city like that, they have a responsibility. And it only comes from the public, right? The public going back to them. But again, because we have this, it's easier. You're not by yourself. Because mm -hmm. that's the way those guys used to handle everybody. Yeah. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Can't do it anymore. No. You, you can bring together a group of people who are like-minded who want this developer to start responding to that diversity factor. You're not just going to... Uh, bring a bunch of Starbuckses into our community and all we've developed is no uh, personal, no uh, local entrepreneurship. We're just making servitude jobs, mm -hmm. right? Because that's all that is to me, yeah. especially for St. John's, Yeah. right? So um, just to go back to that question I was asking about the one word per town, like Toronto. One word? One word. Like, I, I'm just, I'm so curious. Um, and you gave a good explanation for not giving one word because it's so yeah. complicated. Um, I guess I'll take the challenge. Uh, Toronto, deadly. Deadly. Yep. That'll, that would get me to talk about a lot of things to do with... It's funny um, you, you use that word deadly because here in St. John's, deadly means good. I know, but I don't mean it good. <laughs> you don't mean it in the St. John's uh, way. Uh, in, in Montreal, I think... Uh, really is an example of livability, even though it's still got the politics. 
Is um, that your word, livability? Livability. Okay. In, in terms of how, how it's functioning and yeah. how people seem to embrace it. Um, and St. John's would be the hope that we can evolve into, you know, it's a, it's, it's a hopeful point of, point of view. It, it, I always use the word void, you know, the void that we're going to fill uh, because we are going to move, for, move forward. Mm-hmm. For, for once, right? For major. Because of a lot of, it's got a lot to do with you guys. It's got nothing to do with my age group. My age group is, they're all retiring and playing golf. But you guys are showing, I hope you don't give up, but showing, uh, and again, because of this, it, it really has, you know, the, the fact that you can have a business anywhere in the world. And actually, so the connectedness of the factory town or the factory's got to be in the city in order for me, for me to be there, it's all gone. Yeah. We don't even need office towers anymore in reality, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's purely the portability of this and where do you really want to be? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your physiology that's causing you to... I, I like this weather patterning better than anywhere else as long as maybe I get away for two weeks in the middle of winter or something. I don't know. Yeah. And we don't have a bad winter. Montreal has a bad winter. Yeah. You know, uh, um. Just to like go backwards in your timeline a little bit, you're born in Toronto. Um, your company's called Fresh Fruit Architecture. Fresh Fruit and and architecture. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Um, and what's the reasoning behind that? It's on the business card. It's actually it, the real story behind it is that my first wife and I, because she was also an, an architect, we're sitting around in the uh, early '70s trying to come up with a name for our uh, firm because we're going to you know we're going to start practice and you know like she's coming up with well you got to name it after our names and i just couldn't get my head around that and so all of a sudden i come up with just you know leap of insight call it whatever you want i said fresh fruit and architecture and she went she said, no way yeah. what are you stupid you know really came down on me heavy <laughs> uh, anyway we got we broke up not because of that. Okay. We broke up. I, I stuck with it. In my early days of having it, especially in Florida, I was asked which one's the fruit loads <laughs> of times. And I finally got into, well, you know, I think that's your problem in your perception of the world than mine. Um, and then, uh, this is about five years ago, I run into my uh, first wife and in San Francisco. And we're out with some friends from the old days because we were all went through school together. And uh, she turns to me and goes, I really like your name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. you All I know is that when I when I I did say it on a whim, but then when I started getting into it, uh, knowing my grandfather, my dad's father, uh, and that he peddled fruit and vegetables on the street of Toronto. Um, I just built a story around, I, and I, w- I know he, he lived the last five years of his life in my bedroom in, in Florida, because that's where we lived at that time. And uh, I just felt like he was a very careful guy. And in order to, you know, if you, to get a reputation that your fruit and vegetables are good and, you know, solid stuff, you have to be careful. And I just thought, well, that's not a bad approach to making buildings. Because 
they had educated me enough that I wasn't in the fresh fruit business anymore. Yeah. And and um, it's also uh, people don't forget it. No. So you know it, and and the fruit bowl that's in the logo comes from the uh, the invoice that was in the original store. The that the little fruit, oh, okay. I yeah, copied yeah. it. Oh, nice. And put it in the middle of architecture, right? Like cool. that fruit bowl was on the uh, Genova's fruit market. Uh, uh, logo, you know, like the, awesome. the you know, the, the paper slips, you know, because they did all the things in paper in those days. Where was the fruit market in Toronto? The first one, which was before I was born, um, was at uh, Dorval and uh, Bloor. Okay. Uh, Dorval Road and Bloor. Yeah. And uh, that was my grandfather's store with the three brothers, the, yeah. the three sons. And they lived above, my grandparents lived above the store. Never moved from there until my grandfather was brought to Florida with us when my grandmother passed. Uh, and then the second store was built in the Kingsway. And that was actually when I was born, 47, they opened that store. Mm -hmm. And we were, I was in, in Toronto for 10 years, basically, my first 10 years. Okay. And then my dad makes a decision that we're going to Florida. <laughs> so we moved to Florida, which was not a good decision, but anyway. <laughs> Um, sounds like you're a well-traveled uh, guy. Like well, up and, down, up and down the East Coast. Is up not, and down. Yeah, I know the East Coast like the back. I, you know, I know a lot about the United States. Yeah. You know, but I'm not worldly. I, you know, I've been to a few places, but I'm not. Worldly. Yeah. But, what? Um, so, like, we know your love for Montreal, but other than Montreal, like, where have you been that you're really like, wow, this this is an amazing city? Montreal being very livable. Meaning it it solved a lot, right? Whereby you felt like you were, I was there for a while, um, and not easy to be in Montreal because, as an anglophone, it, even today it's not easy to uh, run business because mm. you know, it is they're still growing out of the oppression that they went through, and that's true. The many people they wouldn't like this term, but even in the early days, the French Canadian was the Negro of, of Canada, you know, like it was it was terrible, and and I witnessed it because there was beggar kids that used to come to our car door in Quebec City, barefooted. Mm -hmm. Wow, you know, and this was the '60s. Yeah. So there's something wrong, right, yeah, in that for society, sure. and so it had to be changed, and and it is, and so I applaud them, but at the same time, I'm on the opposite side, and it wasn't easy at all, uh, and I made a a very straightforward decision to, to go to Montreal because I my first career was teaching. I was a professor in, at uh, university level. Uh, I didn't deserve it. Teaching architecture. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was one of these, the way I define it is stupid coming out of high school, and I mean it. <laughs> I find architecture, and then all of a sudden I'm excelling. And then because I'm excelling, I get all these offers like you should help in this studio, you should teach some courses, and, and I'm just going along for the flow. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I guess about eight years into that, I was waking up with cold sweats, and I thought it was a fucking, f I thought it was a friggin' fraud. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought it was a fraud. A fraud in the, like, you had imposter syndrome, like you didn't think you should be there, or you just didn't think you should be teaching, or? <laughs> I did for sure didn't have the right to teach. Just because you hadn't earned a track record? I or? hadn't done anything. And, and that's weird to say I hadn't done anything is a little peculiar because I, I had built 
a geodesic dome, two geodesic domes in the woods. I built a pole house. I'd done a, that was low impact architecture off the grid. Okay, but that still didn't give me the confidence that I have today, which is to me, yeah, okay, now maybe I could teach. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it, it, there's something about the practice, and, and I hadn't practiced, like I hadn't been in the trenches doing what it takes to uh, keep a business open as well as try to do the world of architecture. Yeah. I hadn't done any of that. So I was, to me, I, I was very uncomfortable. When architects would come and visit the school, I'd, be, I'd get all uncomfortable. Yeah. That was telling me something. Yeah. Right? I mean, I wanted to be them. Yeah. And so the only way I could do that, and I won't say I, I came up with that decision like this, because that's bullshit as far as decisions are like, you know, two years of incubating and being annoyed and whatever. Uh, but uh, one of the uh, one of the primary people that influenced me at that time was, uh, and he's passed away. But he was he is the uh, uh, postmodern. He became famous postmodern architect of the United States, which is Michael Graves. And you know, architecture goes through fads, and he was premier. And I knew him at the time when he was on the Ascension. And, and uh, I, was, uh, I actually was in a workshop with him, one of his underlings. And uh, after that uh, one-week experience uh, at Cranbrook, I uh, asked if I could talk with him a little bit, you know, like as a young guy to this older guy. And he actually was a pr professor at, uh, at um, uh, where was he? Princeton and uh, ran a practice. So we, we go walking. We were at Cranbrook in this... It's an idyllic camp, campus with, you know, pathways and everything. And we're walking along and, you know, I'm, you know, he's my mentor, so to speak, right? And I'm, I'm rattling away, like, I've got it all figured out and uh, I'm going to be like you. And, and, and he's listening to me or whatever. He hardly knows me, really, but I'm laying it all out, my future. And he goes, uh, Grant, you can't do that. And I go, what? No, you got to go into practice solid. You can't be teaching as well as practicing startled me yeah right i thought i could you know play the two two sides of it yeah that's not what he said to me and he was absolutely correct only because i just feel it i don't i don't know exactly and there's loads of reasons why i got out of uh teaching yeah you know uh, one of the primary ones was i was in because i start helped start a brand new school of architecture one of three and uh, again, had no real credentials for that. It was just happened to my life. And my dean, who was put with us, there was a dean chosen from Buffalo and three from Florida, which was the faculty. And the school starts with 90 students in uh, Tallahassee. And uh, four years later, I'm with a, you know, our, our, our faculty had expanded to maybe, we were 10 now. And I'm chatting, you know, having lunch or whatever out for beer and all the other guys are talking and uh, someone comes up with well, uh, you're a building that you design and actually construct and you know do everything about doing it is not equal to writing a novel and I went what? It's kind of what I'm thinking right now <laughs> okay. and, and I went that that can't be so I go into my boss's office and I, I knew him well at this point 
And so we were on a one, you know, first name basis. And, and I go, uh, Richard, is this true that as a professor, if I bring you, and I already, I already built the geodesic domes in the woods, I already built another building, all under my financing, by the way. I took it from my pocket and did these things. And I also designed them and I also physically built them longhand, right? Primary person doing it with some help. I won't say there wasn't help, but primary every day, you know, like that. Um, and so I say to him that I want to do another one of those based on some concepts or whatever. Maybe in those days it would have been uh, energy conscious because of the energy crisis in the 70s. And uh, uh, he says to me, no, you, 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 you can't submit that as your uh, tenure uh, track. You've got to be a writer. I go, I'm not a writer. And I don't have any interest whatsoever if ever becoming a writer mm. because I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, I just want to build. Yeah. I just, you know, and so you mean to tell me that even though our profession is truly that, right, that's what we recognize is that's not accepted? He goes, it's not. I go, I don't know when I'm out of here, but I'm out of here. Yeah. I, and and, and to probably then, a year later, I was gone. Yeah. I, I quit. And I went to Montreal. The um, the geodesic domes that you've mentioned, for someone who doesn't know, what is that? What does it look like? What's the function of it? Most people know the Expo 67, which is now called the Biosphere in Montreal. It's a triangulated uh, dome structure. It's uh, heavily, it's all a bunch of triangles, basically. And it makes a enclosure. Uh, and uh, loads of people think, because it's, it's a miss, whatever they call history. Uh, Buckminster Fuller was the inventor, but it, it, the geodesic dome was actually found through Zeiss, who was the optics people, yeah. camera people. Oh, yeah. In the 1920s, these guys were magnifying, and they saw it in nature, in this uh, little plant. They saw this dome, and, and it was all triangulated. Oh, really? And there's a picture in... I think I have the magazine. It's called Shelter or Whole Earth Catalog. I can't remember. But there's a picture from 1920 of these guys. They decided to build it. Yeah. And they built a structure that is triangulated, and that's why it stays up. Okay, the that's that's the the main yeah. feature of what, it. That it's what Bucky itself. did. What Bucky Fuller did is he created the math behind it because there, there was no math, right? And so he's the inventor of the math, so mm -hmm. that. Um, if you if you want, like there was a very popular book in the '70s called Dome Book, and you could look at that book and 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 read it and, and go, okay, I want to build a 35 di foot diameter dome, and I want a frequency of five feet. Frequency meaning the you know the distance of the side of the triangle. Okay. And then it would give you because domes are peculiar because they constantly are trying to turn as they go. The connecting piece is a double angle it's a double angle. it's not a single angle it's a double angle okay it's, it's going off into x y and z yeah okay so he did the math behind that that gotcha. would allow you to for instance if uh, the two domes i well i did three in total because i did a a garden dome but the smaller garden dome for instance uh, I had to uh, do it through a radial arm saw because a radial arm saw, you can 
bend it this way and bend it that way mm -hmm. and cut right so parallel you get a double and diagonal angle. yeah okay you got a double angle so the joint comes together as a double angle without getting too like uh complicated on the math like how would a geodesic dome and an igloo vary not by much there's very similar sound um, kind of the same like physics yeah um it's based on the same thing where the whole thing is in tension and compression uh so so is the ice cube like the pressures around if you were to diagnose what's going on structurally and and what they're doing is slowly shaving uh a angle into the ice as it goes up and of course what a lot of people don't realize is that they're fitting the it's not perfect no. but it's perfect enough that it looks like a dome and nature's not perfect either mm. nature's always off it's not uh, perfection's a man-made thing do you know nature. what that plant was where they discovered the geodesic no design? But you, uh, it magnification ended up getting very serious after 1920 yeah and so most recently meaning the last 20 years uh they actually named that structural organization of three-dimensional geodesic they named it buckyball okay and it's 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 the base structural component of it, of everything when they get into it right yeah. when they get into the fiber and and how it's actually being held if you magnify it far enough you get to a buckyball why don't you think there are more geodesic domes being used and like what i i, I kind of feel like it's one of those things that's cool in theory and it's amazing how it all stays together but it's ugly looking like that's that's what i would say well, the, not around, the, but what's your the, opinion the biosphere in montreal is not ugly when it's carried through and the domes that we did were not ugly where, where the domes get ugly is where someone takes a geodesic dome only to its structure and then they start trying to put square windows in it and they're trying to take stuff from Home Depot and you know apply it yeah rather than like we actually went out of our way and made triangular windows you know it's called integrity but it's like we tried to keep the integrity of it because we wanted to execute it to whatever the problem with them is when you take it to that level, they leak. They leak like a sieve. Oh, okay. And and that's today. You probably with all the new uh, polymers and spray stuff that you have uh, on the market, which we didn't have in those days, you probably could seal it all with no trouble. So there's. Uh, but the reason that most geodesic domes are perceived ugly is because. The person doing it only understands that it's a structure and not an aesthetic that you need to maintain it all the way to the end like in nature right nature does not decide to make something triangulated and then come back in and put in square windows mm -hmm. nature doesn't even have a square window it comes back it, it, it finishes it for purposes of water, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, uh, in integral to what it's trying to be, yeah. which is a, a triangular thing. You know, you'll, you'll see people gyprock it all or whatever, not expose the structure. It's it's really cool when you walk into one and it's all there, you know. Uh, but it, that, that's tedious to most people. They wouldn't yeah. do that level. 
they wouldn't carry it through yeah. to depth and, like and to most showcase people, it. Yeah, I mean the the craftsmanship level of where we are today compared to where we were, you know, uh, even in the early fifties. Uh, uh, most of the most of the people, if they can't find it at Home Depot, you can't you can't get it done. And so, right. that, who's designing Home Depot? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a Home Depot boardroom that's deciding what our environments look like. Really great idea. But anyway, that's what's gone on so far. Yeah. Um, what kind of, uh, you said that architecture sort of goes through fads. What would be like in vogue right now? Oh boy. Well, there's the star architect. What's that? Um, guys that get a lot, you know, they, oh, just like, just like celebrity yeah. architect the guys. Ce celebrity stuff is. What's that, uh, the, the is that Danish guy? The, the celebrity <laughs> stuff is probably the most in vogue thing right now. Oh, okay. The, and, and, and I, as you know, it's everywhere. I think in everybody's field, it's kind of annoying because, uh, you know, there's 3% that are that, and then there's 97% of us just, I, I don't want to say trying to make a living. We're trying to do good stuff too, but we'll never get any press on it. And yet we keep on trying to do it. Yeah. So, and that's true of some really dynamic artists, podcasters, you know, you name it. And you won't get the credit. You just are committed. Mm -hmm. So we're in the age of, of that flash uh, that seems to be more important. And I think that's going to dissolve quickly mm -hmm. because that stuff does dissolve quickly over time. And yeah. if people will be more serious about it, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, the building we're in right now is on uh, Harbor Drive in Newfoundland, and it's got... Well, I want, actually, I want you to describe it. I could describe it, but I want you to describe what the outside looks like. Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's... Um, is it ugly? It's, well, it's ugly with a lot of potential. It... Yeah, I would, and, I, and it's more. It, I've warmed up to it because I had I've had to be in it, inside yeah. it. I, I I moved into this project. The, the the former owner allowed us to occupy. It was kind of weird. They allowed us to occupy the building, and that's a little peculiar because usually when you're studying a set of buildings, the architect's not allowed to move in. I mean, you know. Yeah. Although there there are some things with. Uh, through Frank Lloyd Wright's career, what he actually he lived with his clients. Oh wow! He actually married one or two, but you know, like I want to go down that road. But just before we leave the the building, the yeah. outside is basically all red brick, and one corner looks like a, a lighthouse. Yeah, it's poor. It's poorly done brick, and there's the lighthouse piece, which was added on. Oh, was the upper floor, the the floor we're on, was added on. Uh, we know that historically. Plus, it's got a mansard roof, which is kind of you know so so. Uh, but it's it's amazing to in its uh, sighting, right? It's mm -hmm. got one of the most spectacular views of the harbor. Oh, it's incredible! That yeah. you could so in terms of the total, what makes a building? You know, it's it's not just the look on the outside; it's also what's happening inside. What's it doing? And there's so much potent more things that could happen to the building to make it better. Uh, it's it's doable, right? Yeah. yeah, and and it was at one time an original um, uh, fishing build merchant merchant fishing building when it was a three story building mm. through the Neal family. The, the Neal family, okay. uh, Mr. Neal, who was the last occupier from the Neals of this building, 
is a hundred hundred and one year old man uh, who I still need to go and visit. But um, you know, they ran this as a family uh, uh, thing to do with the uh, the wooden boats because mm. the wooden boats were right here. Yeah, right. The parking lot wasn't here. The water was here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and that's something we uncovered since we've been here and and we're trying to bring back as a knowledge to you know young young kids for instance in st john's don't even know that existed mm. it's all lost they see it in pictures but they don't know how it was connected to the real environment yeah because it got uh you know mowed over yeah um you mentioned frank lloyd rice probably one of the most famous architects of all time in north america in okay yeah yeah uh, what do you? But he is he is amazing. Anyone who's unfamiliar, you can just Google and you'll see like his his houses and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, what are your opinions on his work? My biggest opinion about right, he had an amazing career. I mean, that that's where I get my. Uh, I loved his work. I mean, anybody that says that there's something weird about it is a little crazy, as far as I'm. But I'm not a a rightian, right? I'm. I'm uh, where I think he uh, and and loads of people don't talk to him talk about him this way, but um, he he was interviewed by uh, Hugh Downs, and Hugh Downs was uh, Barbara Walters is the more famous person, but at one time Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs I think they ran a program called Twenty Twenty, uh, it was a well known program on on television and radio, and uh, Hugh Downs is interviewing Wright when Wright is probably two years from dying, right? very, because I think he died, he was 93, something like that. And at the end of the interview, because Wright's um, career spanned from the 1880s all the way to 1959. And he was thrown aside a few times, and he came back in different ways. He was insulted. I mean, he, he, he was constantly in a weird way, reinventing himself. Uh, he had a grasp of how we should live, which some people should have paid attention. But th there was a whole group of them that if we had paid attention to them, we wouldn't have uh, Levittown, uh, track houses, suburbia, to the level where it's not livable. Right. If you just if they had just followed some of the principles that the Corbusier, as well as Wright, as well as loads of ones from that era. So at the end of the interview, Hugh Downs is saying, you know, Mr. Wright, you've I mean, he, he went from there was no airplane to where there was an airplane. Yeah, it's an incredible you know, expanse of time. He was amazing, alive. Right? In, yeah. And uh, so Hugh Downs goes, you, you've had such an amazing career. You know, like, what is your wisdom? You know, like, what is, what would you say? You know, like, ooh, yeah. give us the platitude or whatever. And Wright comes back and he goes, my dear boy, the next job. <laughs> That's awesome. That's who he was. That's really and cool. And that, to me, is more powerful than anything he ever did. Yeah. Because you, you, you run a life, right? Yeah. I mean, this guy, I, I've done a lot of reading on him and Corbusier, like real serious, uh, in-depth reading. And I, loads of people don't realize, but he, he gets involved with a one of his clients because he was fed up with his career, early career, which was fa already famous in Chicago. He's frustrated with how he's being boxed in. 
So how does he handle this? He does a scandal. What's the scandal? Got involved with a married oh, okay. one of his clients that was okay. married. Yeah, I guess that would be scandalous scandal. back then. Totally scandalous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he was thrown out of Chicago. Oh, wow. So he goes to Europe. And he, and he, and he uh, did a bunch of drawings and whatever and did this monogram stuff that's famous because he influenced the modern architects that came, that, that started happening between the two wars, because that's when that happened. Lots of people don't realize it was then. Like all this stuff that, uh, that young architects claim to be, you know, they've found the Mecca or whatever, it all came from that period of time. It got turned around because of dictatorship. Hitler and Mussolini, they went all back to classical architecture, right? But if you look at 1919, it's a period of time where you've got the Bauhaus, De Stael, Corbusier, Wright, they're all, they're, they're stripping all this ornateness off the buildings, throwing it aside. They're putting trees in the middle of the buildings. They're making them livable with courtyards. They're, the windows mean something. They've got, in Villa Savoie, which is done by Corbusier, you, you can, you enter the building with just two cars and a bathroom. You go up a spiral staircase and a ramp, both for vertical circulation. You come up to the first floor of functional, of course, living room, a kitchen, whatever. You climb all the way up to the rooftop and you have a rooftop garden. It's, it's his house. Yeah. It's how people should live. He called, he called it the machine for living. Oh, cool. There's, People mock that word today because they go, oh, he wanted to put us in a machine. No, he didn't. He was, he was on, the, on the edge of the airplane just came on board. So he's going to be talking in terms of the machine is amazing. We've got to, you know, yeah. just like today, I guess we got to embrace hip hop. I don't know. How, how yeah, about. it's interesting how each uh, gener uh, generation will adopt uh, the modern technology as a simile or a metaphor for how we should live or like the brain yeah. is a computer now yeah. or i guess it used to be a steam engine exactly right and he was just using the topical exactly. word exactly exactly i and, love and, that phrase though the machine of living yeah yeah <laughs> that's cool and and so you know uh, rights of that same time and and he go he, he's outcasted from chicago then he returns and then, and then another thing happens to him. All the uh, so-called newer architects, including one person I hate, is Philip Johnson. Uh, I, I know I'm name dropping, and I'm not meaning to, but Philip Johnson did the Chippendale uh, office building in New York, and he came from wealth and silver spoon kid, and he wore Corbusian glasses. You know, he mocked everybody, and he, he's the because of his connectedness and his family, he ends up the curator at MoMA. And they're, they're going to do a modern uh, uh, display of modern architecture. They keep Wright out. Mm. So Wright turns around and does uh, Falling Water. That's the, That's the famous, famous Kaufman one House. The yeah. Water. Yeah. yeah, he just went, fuck you. Huh. And, and slam, slam dunked us all with that. Yeah. Like, you know. And then you always get the people going, oh, yeah, well, wasn't he a tirade? Wasn't he a monster? Didn't he think his point of view was the only point of view? I go, would you please scratch the surface a little deeper? He was a human being, number one, so don't forget that. And, yeah. and, and uh, I know for a fact that he was more hands-on than people gave him credit. And, and one of the hands-on, uh, one of the moments in his life, he's got, he had two Taliesins going on. He had this kind of weird thing of Taliesin uh, 
East in Wisconsin and Taliesin West. Taliesin West still exists. In Wisconsin, which he built his own um, studios, he had about five or six draft people. Realize there's no computers, so you can't do it all your own. He has these people involved. He's involved with this uh, uh, lady with three children, and uh, she's divorced or whatever it was, right? He has his oldest son has become an architect, so he's collaborating with his older son. He happens to be in Chicago, actually, although no one has ever said it, but I read between the lines, he was actually placing mosaic in one of his buildings, right? Doing a mural. And what happens back at the ranch is the, 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 the main male servant uh, kills five of them with a hatchet and burns Taliesin down. Oh, God. That's a true story. Yeah. And he has to deal with that. Crazy. That's what happens in his life, you know. What a wild ride. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> how, do, how do I get out of that one? <laughs> the hatchet job. Um, no, it's, it's, and, and no, one, no one knew why. Yeah. The, the guy cut his t tongue out of himself to not speak. Oh, wow. It's a bizarre story. Yeah. There's actually one book on just it, just that, some academic uh, focused on. Do you know what it's that. called? That book? Oh, it's something. It, Frank Lloyd Wright Fire. If you just Googled Frank Lloyd Wright Fire, you'll get it. Okay. There's only one book. I'm looking into that. Yeah. Um, just to like wrap it up, I want to do a little thought experiment with you. If you had unlimited resources. You don't. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you've got $5,000. Yeah. Okay. $5,000. Um, and I'm asking you to build a structure. You can place it anywhere in the world, um, but the structure is an outhouse. What does it look like and where is it? The structure is just the function of taking a shit? Yep. Hmm. Well, I'm here, which is the rock. Newfoundland. And I just recently went to... Um, Paradise, and I don't mean this paradise, I mean Paradise by Petit Four, which is out on Heritage Run. Have you ever been out that way? Uh, I'm not sure I have. Uh, Southeast Bite, uh, trying to Marystown. Okay, the, yeah, the, yeah. The spine that goes to Marystown. Yeah. Um, and I was on a, a ferry. Uh, the ferry going to where I was going was late at night and was foggy, so I didn't see the, anything. But on the way back, and my answer would be, in rock formations, I can see structure, like sitting there, just like, because what's interesting about buildings is that they are, they're foreign to nature, right? It's, and, but, I, but I love the fact that I could take, create a structural platform within the rock, so it's suspended, and on that is the function of taking a ship. <laughs> Pretty mi that's minimalistic. The, that's the yeah. Yeah. So you that's, don't even need to spend any money. In a sense, I'm, I'm not putting in any foundation. <laughs> I'm getting away from that. I would have to, uh, you know, create the uh, structure. And, and most of the, the, the challenging part about that when you start processing it the way that I have to is like, how would you, how would you actually build that? How, how would you physically pull it off? And that's interesting in itself because it's a lot of uh, pulleys and uh, uh, drop ropes 
and you know, and anchoring that it's not your norm. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's doable. It's very doable. Right on. It's, yeah, it'd be fun. I think that's a good image to leave in the listener's mind. Yeah, and like, and definitely it would be painted a color. <laughs> the little the little guy. Oh so, yeah. 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 <laughs> right on. Okay. That's awesome, Grant. Thank okay. you so much. Okay. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. For any and all past episodes, be sure to search Curious Jord on your favorite podcasting app. You can also find me on any of those time-consuming and soul-sucking social media platforms by searching Curious Jord Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers.